Hi, everyone. Drew Perot here. Thank you again for tuning back into the Broken Brain Podcast. We have an interview for you today that you don't want to miss. If you've ever been curious about genes and genetic health, this episode is for you. We're going to do a deep dive today with Dr. Ben Lynch, author of Dirty Genes, and talk about what we absolutely need to know when it comes to our DNA. We'll be talking about this concept of dirty genes, why they are important, and how we can test ourselves to see if we have one of them. We'll be breaking down terms like SNPs and ecoleals and other things that you've maybe read about or heard about but didn't fully understand. And of course, we'll be talking about Dr. Lynch's story of how a major genetic discovery in his own life changed the course of his health. The study of our genes and how they're expressed is still so new. And as Dr. Ben Lynch says, much of it's still theoretical and the research is catching up to the theory. But I couldn't think of anyone better to have on our podcast to help us process at least what we know and how to turn that information into actionable things that we can do to improve our health. I hope you enjoy this interview and consider leaving a review for us on Apple Podcast. We read all of them and so appreciate the feedback and the love. Okay. So now on to my formal intro for Dr. Ben Lynch. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perot, executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think will help you improve your brain health, feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Ben Lynch. Dr. Ben Lynch is the best-selling author of Dirty Genes and president of Seeking Health, a company that helps educate both the public and health professionals on how to overcome genetic dysfunction, which we're going to get into in this podcast. He received his doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University. He lives in Seattle, Washington with his wife and three sons. Dr. Ben Lynch, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Hey, great to be here, Drew. Thank you much for the invite. Absolutely. I want to start at a super obvious place. You know, we've heard so much about genetics over the last few years. There's been so many advances and tests and other things that have come out. And really what I find in having conversations with people about genes and DNA and our genetics is that when it comes to the naturopathic functional medicine perspective, a lot of people are still missing out on the basics. So I want to start at a very super obvious place. You wrote a book called Dirty Genes. Help us understand what is this concept of dirty genes and how does it play out when it comes to our overall genetic health? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great place to start because, you know, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, integrative medicine in general, you know, we're, we're looking at the basics to help support the individual and use natural means in order to do so. And sometimes we, we can't use natural means, but we strive. And so when the word dirty comes to play, uh, into mind, we think, okay, when something's dirty, we can clean it up. And so that was the mindset I want people thinking about when they think, oh, I was born with such a bad set of genes. Well, maybe they're just dirty, right? And maybe they're not bad after all. And we'll get into that later in this podcast too. But what I mean by dirty genes is basically your genes are not functioning the way they need to be functioning. They're not functioning optimally. And if your genes are dirty, you have symptoms, period. A lot of us get down that symptom train. They go to their doctor and think, doc, what's wrong with me? And they're waiting for that label to come back. You have schizophrenia. You are infertile. You have preeclampsia. You have you know, cardiovascular disorder of you know, what have you. And so they're waiting for that label. But at the end of the day, 
all these labels are just a bunch of dirty genes that are causing it. And a label really means nothing. You know, there's this idea still that's very pervasive in our culture that the genes you have or the genes you're born with, so if you have the breast cancer gene, then that's what's going to happen to you. Help us unpack that a little bit and help us understand how epigenetics plays into our understanding of genetic health. Well, I'll share this example, and I, I don't know who brought it up first, but it's a great one. So the nucleus is inside of our cell, and it's our cells are inside of us, and we can't see our cells. We just see our skin, and that's one big thing that we're concerned about, and our weight and our muscles and our hair and our eye color, but we can't really see our cells. And inside of our cells, which there are trillions of, is a nucleus, and the nucleus houses the DNA. So I ask... How is it that your genes control you when they are inside of your body and they just turn on and off at will? No, a lot of people think that, but they don't. They're regulated a lot by the time and light, but they're regulated by your environment and by you. And so if you pull out the nucleus of a cell, it will live longer than if you pull off the cell membrane of the cell. So when we think about our genes controlling us, that is such a huge myth that needs to die now. And because when you open your eyes and you look out at the environment, you can see beauty and your genes will respond to that and you'll be, your genes will be relaxed and they'll start repairing you and they'll restorative things, they'll support your digestion, they'll secrete hormones you know, for repair and restoration. But in, if you look outside and you see a danger, certain genes will turn on to help prepare you to be more alert, have a faster heart rate, to have more blood flow, and so on. And that digestive genes will turn off because you don't need to digest during fear. So it's ultimately you who is in control of how your genes turn on and turn off. And a big one is the environment around you. I think a, a major takeaway out of what you just shared, which is going to be very new for a lot of people, we think of genes as being a very slow, we know that they're important and they respond to our health, but we sort of see them as very fixed, at least societally, we think of them as very fixed. And then when they do have a response in our body, it's very slow. But what you're saying is that in real time, all the time, our genes are having an effect on how our body functions. Like it's a real time thing, not over the course of you know, decades or a lifetime, it's happening all the time in real time. Yeah. And I, I will say that it depends on the gene. You know, there are some genes that act really quickly and respond to the environment. And there's other genes that are just turned off and wrapped up and they're done. So, you know, your eye color uh, was determined by genetics and, you know, the probably also your mom's uh, environment in utero, but you can't change your eye color at a whim, right? So that's fixed. But the genes that I talk about in Dirty Genes and the genes I want people really focusing on are the genes that we are in control of. We're not in control of our eye color. That's just how it is. I mean, we can buy contacts and <laughs> bypass the system. But, you know, generally speaking, the genes that I talk about, Dr. Robert Navio calls eco-alleles. And I was like, wow, that is really cool. So tell me more about that. And he goes, an eco-allele is basically a gene that has been selected for over time by the environment to help that person adapt within that local environment. And then that said, that real local environment, those genes have to adapt also quickly. So uh, well caught, if we see a tiger or a lion or we see a, you know, a bouquet of flowers being delivered, our genes will act that quickly 
depending on the situation. So yes, they act very, very fast. We're going to get into those genes in a second over here and what role they play, but let's uh, continue to unpack some of this terminology. What are SNPs and what's their role in all of this? Wow. You know, the, the whole genetic thing is is a new emerging field and it's it's really a lot of us are, are kind of dabbling and a lot of it's theoretical. So the research is trying to catch up and they're doing a great job. But, you know, SNPs are the the difference between you and I, Drew. There's a difference between myself and my wife and my kids. And what these SNPs do is they're little tiny variations often, which can change how this the gene responds to the environment. So for example, there's tens of thousands of SNPs within us. There's actually more than that. I think there's, a, I forget if it's 1.4 million SNPs within us or 1.4 million SNPs overall. But I, regardless, the majority of SNPs have no impact on the human at all. And what a SNP is, is when you have a gene, a gene is composed of a bunch of little DNA nucleotides, their bases, their little proteins. And when you have a slight change in one of those bases, it, it's slightly different, then that's called a SNP. It's called a single nucleotide polymorphism. And people think SNPs are bad. They think they're bad because if we have a SNP, that means we're different than the majority of the individuals who do not have a SNP because a SNP is defined as something that's different than what is typically found in that population. So in a population being different ancestries, so Chinese, Hispanics, uh, Caucasian, and so on. So MTHFR is one such SNP. And what these SNPs can do is oftentimes they do nothing. So if you do a genetic test and you're looking for all the different SNPs that you have, that could mean absolutely nothing to you. There's only like probably 40,000, 20,000 SNPs. I'm pulling numbers out of thin air, but it's kind of around there that actually have a functional difference. And all they do is they change how the, the gene is working, either faster or slower. And sometimes it just doesn't respond. Let's take one of those that you mentioned, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit here as we sort of lay the land for our listeners to understand this concept and all this knowledge that you've accumulated and written about over the years. So you just mentioned one, MTHFR. What is that SNP and what's a practical way that that SNP and that variation that somebody might have can show up in their day-to-day life and with you know developing a chronic disease? Yeah, so MTHFR is a gene, and genes have abbreviations because the scientific names are so long and kind of arduous to pronounce. And uh, so it stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, which is exactly why it's abbreviated. But there's about 20,000 genes in the human body. MTHFR is one gene. It's a very important gene because it makes your body's number one most plentiful form of folate in your blood. So we hear about folate or folic acid all the time, and we hear how important it is actually for our brain and for our neurotransmitters and for other things. But really, not enough people understand that MTHFR's job as a gene is to produce an enzyme which makes your body's number one form of folate, which is called methylfolate. And folic acid is not methylfolate. It's not even close. And so folic acid is not a very good form of folate and methylfolate is about comprises about 80% of your folate in your blood and that's what your brain wants. Your brain wants methylfolate. 
It doesn't want folic acid. And so there are individuals, 40% of Hispanics, Italians, and Chinese have a very common MTGFR SNP, which reduces their capacity to make methylfolate by about 60 to 70% or more. So that's massive. And I have that SNP. So I have uh, English ancestry, but I, my MTGFR gene has a SNP in it. And that makes my MTGFR gene not work very well. It's sluggish. And so I don't have that much methylfolate on board. And so my brain can be lacking in folate and not make the neurotransmitters it needs. And it could also affect my blood uh, health because my, my heart health, because my homocysteine levels will go up, which then also ties into your neurotransmitters. But the main thing I want people to walk away with is they're thinking, oh, that's bad, but it's not bad. It's different. So, and you, if you're eating leafy green vegetables, it's fine because you can get methylfolate from leafy green vegetables and you can get methylfolate from uh, liver and from you know liver food. So there's ways around it. And it's very, very important to know if you have the MTGFR SNP, because if you do, you must be changing your lifestyle to either eat more leafy greens, which I never did, Drew. I was a protein, meat and potatoes kind of kid growing up on a ranch. In my early 20s, I didn't eat salad much. I thought salad was boring and stupid. And I struggled health-wise because of it. And now I've changed my tune and I supplement with methylfolate. And I also eat my leafy greens uh, quite religiously and I avoid folic acid. Take us a little bit back in time, growing up on, on the ranch and obviously as your health continued to unfold, a lot of the practitioners, researchers, scientists that we have on this podcast have had their own personal crisis, which kind of brought them into this space. Um, what was life like before you made these changes for you? How did it practically show up in your health before you knew that you had this specific variant and this snippet? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And yeah, a lot of us do have our own health stories and that's kind of how I got into naturopathic medicine. But looking back, I'm six foot five now and about 206 pounds. And so I'm a, I'm a big guy and I was in high school and I was always really tall and skinny. I was super, super skinny. I did very well in school, always. So school wasn't a problem for me, but my body developing was. I had basically no muscle, even though I was extremely active on the farm, uh, throwing hay bales around. And I was, I was pretty strong, but not compared to my classmates. So I was weak. And when I went to college, I was still weak. And so I joined the rowing team for, at the University of Washington, I did not have the endurance. I could not gain muscle, even though I was lifting and exercising just as hard as these guys were and, and harder. You know, I'd look at their legs and they'd be ripped and defined. And here's skinny old beanpole Ben. And yes, some of us are genetically, you know, more sinewy and, and less uh, likely to get muscle. But I will tell you, Drew, once I found out that I was not able to make methylfolate very well in my own body. I started changing uh, my diet and cleaning that up. And man, I can bulk up really fast. I, my wife actually uh, laughs because, you know, she tells my boys, you know, look out when your dad starts lifting weights because he gets big fast now. And it's true. I can build muscle quickly. And why is that? Why is that related to Jafar? Well, it's related to Jafar is because creatine is really, really used 
uh, it really demands a lot of methylfolate to be made um, because it, I don't want to get into too much science, but, and then you need creatine for muscle mass. And so if your child is born super skinny, kind of lethargic, not able to gain muscle mass, uh, maybe slow to speak, uh, you know, verbally, creatine can be one of these things can be really useful. And I would be looking at an MGFR gene, polymorphism of SNP as well. And I also will say I was spraying Roundup, Drew, all the time on the ranch. I was spraying wow. Canadian people and I was in flip-flops or tennis shoes and shorts because I grew up in the desert, so it was hot. And we had Canadian thistles all over this 40 acres. And my job was to carry a backpack sprayer, five pound, you know, five gallons of Roundup. And I would fill that sucker up maybe 15 times a day. And I did it, you know, probably a couple months out of the year for, well, probably six, seven years. And ever, still to this day, I'm, I'm better now. But when I walk down the aisles of, you know, pesticides, herbicides, I'm sensitive. So, and then we had crop testers as well. So yeah, it's, I'm still sensitive to that stuff. My MTHFR gene SNP did not help me there either. Because in addition to, you're talking about muscle, it, that SNP also plays a role in detoxification. Listeners would be aware of also uh, Dr. Hyman's story where he has that uh, snippet, that variant that's inside of there. And then he moved to China for a period of time and was exposed to a lot of coal and toxicity that was there and his brain breaking through that experience. So tell us about what role it plays in. You're talking about, obviously, we don't want anybody to have exposure to pesticides, to Roundup and other things, but why in that instance would it affect you more? What role does that uh, snippet play in, in the detox process? Well, MTGFR, you know, it's, it's a very indirect SNP in terms of uh, detoxification. However, you know, there are other genes for detoxification like glutathione. There's a, I talk about in the, in the book, Dirty Genes, GPX and GST. These are two genes for glutathione. And glutathione is our number one antioxidant in the body for getting rid of a lot of compounds like mercury, arsenic, which with Dr. Hyman was exposed to heavily from the coal. And I was exposed to high amounts of arsenic um, because I did landscape construction for years and arsenic was found in pressure treated wood material. And when I tested my arsenic levels, they were also very high. And so when you have MTHFR, SNP, it does tie detoxification for some things like arsenic because remember, MTHFR, what it does, you always have to think back, what does the gene do? And the gene makes methylated folate, methylfolate. And how do you get rid of arsenic with a process called methylation? It's like, okay, well, what's methylation? Well, methylation is just the action of taking something called a methyl group and attaching it to something. So methylfolate will help make a compound which will then attach to an arsenic, which will make it less toxic, and then you'll be able to pee it out. But you need glutathione for that too. You need MTHFR working and you need the glutathione genes also working. You need both. And so my arsenic levels, Drew, were red. They were redlined on that test, high red. And so I finally got them out by supporting my methylation with methylfolate uh, and methylcobalamin. You hear that, right? Methylfolate and methylcobalamin because they took those methyl groups and it donated to the arsenic and got it out. And then glutathione helps pull it out as well. So that's one big example. And then another one, when I was at Bastyr University, we had cadaver lab for an entire year. It was an amazing experience being able to work with 
individuals who donated their bodies to science. Totally amazing. So we had about, you know, it was a big room and there was about 25 uh, cadavers in the room and we were assigned to one cadaver uh, for the entire year. And within those cadavers in that room was very high levels of formaldehyde. And I got bumps all over my scalp, cysts, sebaceous cysts all over my scalp. And that was from the formaldehyde. And that was connected also to MTHFR because MTHFR is a gene that also helps work and the glutathione genes, both. You need folate and glutathione to get rid of your formaldehyde. So obviously you were a naturopathic student. You're learning about a lot of aspects of health. Did you have this realization and had you run genetic testing in school on yourself or did that aha moment come at a later time? Were you being exposed to this formaldehyde thinking like, oh my gosh, I know why this is happening or did you learn this later on? Great question. Very important question. It was not an aha moment. It was a slow process and, uh, you know, I had no idea why I got bumps on my head. I just thought I was weird and I knew my dad got them too. And my dad had bumps on his head and I was like, huh, that's weird. And so then it, it got me and then I keep thinking my kids are going to get them um, and maybe they will. But it was not an aha moment at all. What happened, Drew, was when I was practicing as a student uh, preceptoring with the amazing environmental medical doctor who fortunately just passed on, uh, Dr. Bill Ray, uh, in Dallas, Texas, I was at his amazing clinic, and we would work with individuals from all over the world with environmental illness, heavy metals, pesticides, herbicides, you know, uh, tree pollen allergies, what have you. And if a person came in with arsenic or mercury toxicity, you know, we gave them the same treatment. And it was the same treatment no matter what. And, and that's what you did. You knew that you had to give the person these uh, supplements. You knew you had to do these types of treatments like sauna and, and do all these things. Some people got better. Some people had no change and some people got worse. And I remember I asked Dr. Ray, I said, Dr. Ray, do you think there's some genetic aspect to this as, as to why some people can't, you know, tolerate these treatments? And he goes, I, I don't know, you know, and he was in his eighties. And when I asked him that question, he was probably in his early sixties. So it was, you know, well after his, his time, you know, his prime to start studying genetics. But I saw the same treatments, the same problem for the individuals, but people were responding differently. And I was like, that's got to be genetic. And so it wasn't until much later that I, you know, somebody asked me about bipolar disorder and I was rattling off the usual stuff. And I was like, well, I want to dig into it a little bit more. And so I I went to the National Library of Medicine and I typed bipolar and folate because I knew they were related. And it talked about this gene called MTHFR and how individuals with MTHFR may have bipolar, increased susceptibility. I was like, huh. So, and then I started studying more and more and more. And, and then I started looking at detoxification pathways and there was glutathione, the cytochrome P450 genes, and, and it just, it opened up Pandora's box. So it was a very slow multi-year process. But I tell you now, I avoid uh, formaldehyde big time. And uh, as long as I avoid formaldehyde and I support my glutathione levels, uh, I don't have bumps in my head anymore. They're That's gone. Fast. Super fascinating. And I, I want to come back to your story because, so what was the first time, and if you don't mind mentioning what test it was, I'm sure things have evolved since then. What was the first time that you thought, I need to do my own genetic testing and, and when you got back that report that showed you, I'm sure maybe you've done, done it multiple times and 
as the research has come out, but tell us about that first time that you decided to do genetic testing on yourself. And when that report came back, what you realized from them and, you know, if there were any light bulbs that went off for you. No, there were a lot of light bulbs that went off. <laughs> um, so the first time I did genetic testing was basically when 23andMe became first available. I was one of the first ones to get their test. And uh, I ordered that test because I had been writing about MTHFR for, since I think it was 2011, I started writing about it. I think it was 2000, either that year, 2011 or 2012. I can't remember when I ordered 23andMe. There's a blog post on mtfr.net when I talked about Lynch family and the mtfr gene. Um, so I can't remember the exact date. But you were but writing it, about it not knowing that you had it at that point in time. Correct. Correct. And then I finally tested um, with 23andMe because I actually before 23andMe, I was trying to create my own genetic test. I don't know. Maybe that was after. Anyway, I'm getting everything a little bit blurred, but let's just say I ordered 23andMe and then I found that I didn't teach far. And I'll tell you, Drew, I, it felt like, you know, when you hear really, really bad news, like something terrible happened to you or your family members, a loved one, it felt like I died inside mm. when I saw that I had that. It crushed me. And then when I ordered the genetic test, I ordered it for my whole family. So then I said, okay, I'm going to look at my kids now. Crushed. Two of my boys, very significant MTFR SNP, crushed again. My oldest son does not have the MTFR that significant, and my wife also doesn't have that uh, significant of a SNP for MTFR. But I will tell you, the first time I saw that, I was like, you know, as a man, as a husband, as a father, your job is to protect. And I just felt like someone came in and took the life out of me and my, my two boys. And yet yeah. at the same time too, did you also feel a sense of relief because you had been dealing with these symptoms or things that have happened in your past and you would notice that it was hard for you to put on muscle? So was there a little bit of that there too? I did not know the muscle connection at that time. Got it. And I did not know as much, not even close as I know now. So I knew that this was significant and I knew that it was playing a role in my health and possibly my kids as well. Um, because they had, uh, they were slow to speak when they were young. The middle one and the, the youngest were slow. The, the oldest was fine, as I recall. And so that was really nerve wracking for me. But I will tell you now, after I've learned what I've learned about genetics and that they're eco alleles, and these are, we've inherited these, these SNPs from our ancient ancestors based upon the environment they were living in even though we've moved from our ancestors' environment. I mean, Drew, are you living in the same zip code as your ancestors did 300 years ago? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Who is, right? So these these genes that we've, these SNPs that we've inherited from our ancient ancestors allowed us to survive and thrive in their environment. Yet, but we move all over the place. We fly, we travel, and we, we take residence up so far from where our ancestors were and what they ate and what they did and how they survived that these SNPs are now becoming problematic in our zip code, whereas in their zip code, there was no zip code back then, but in their zip code, they thrived. So, and what we ate was is different than what they're eating. So nowadays I look at, I'm super thankful that I did the genetic report and I, I'm inviting others to have the same mindset to when you get your genetic test back, 
it's, I know that, you know, I already had my fear-based moment. Here I am suggesting to you to not have that. And it's, it's hard. But I will say that when you look at your genetics, you should be excited because you finally have the opportunity to see what kind of model car you are. What if you've, your whole life you've been thinking you're a four-wheel drive Tonka truck and you're barreling down mountains and you found out you're a, a, a rear-wheel drive Ford Pinto? You know, and you think, you know, Pintos have their, their, or let's, let's say not say a Pinto because those are super ugly cars. Let's say a Lamborghini, right? So let's say <laughs> I like you're that a analogy better. <laughs> yeah. Let's say you're a Lamborghini and you're not a four wheel drive Tonka truck. You know, you got to know what roads you can navigate on and how you handle your genes is super important. And once you know what your genes are, you know what steps that you can take strategically and without guessing. And it's awesome because now that I know I have empty Shafar and a bunch of other SNPs, I know what I should do. I know my weak points. I know my strengths and I've adapted my lifestyle accordingly. And Drew, I'm 44, pushing 45 here in a few more months, but uh, I feel fantastic. Yeah. I see you, you and your family on Instagram. I see you guys hiking and working out and doing great things and a big smile on your face and gratitude and other components. And it's like, once you understand how to use the machine that we've been given and you understand bio-individuality and everybody's different and there's reasons why. I mean, and this is just basically the small things that we know. There's so much stuff out there with genetics that we haven't even begun to unpack. But at yeah. least with some of this customization, we can take our body to the next level. So, you know, so far we've talked a lot about just this one variant as an example in your journey and this common variant, the MTHFR, but you've talked about other SNPs that are there. Can you give us a few other examples of these SNPs and how they might have practical implications on how we might want to personalize our health? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in the book, Dirty Genes, I talk about, uh, it's called the Super 7. And the Super 7 genes, you know, how do you write a book about genetics and write about seven genes when there's 20,000 of them. I mean, it's gonna be a dumb book. It's not gonna be relevant, but it was a really tough choice to pick those seven SNPs that I talked about. And I talked about SNPs, I talked about genes. And I picked these seven because I finally, it was multiple renditions, but finally the seven that I picked affect major body systems, major body systems, your brain, your gut, your heart, uh, your detoxification system and others. Okay. So the one that is really, let's talk one big one that's connected to your brain and there's two of them. And in fact, they're all connected to your brain. And, but what I will say is there's a gene called COMT and COMT's job is to help break down dopamine and norepinephrine and epinephrine. Okay. So if you're a type of person that is always on the go, type A, driven, get stuff done, insomniac, night owl, possibly you've got a lot more dopamine in your brain and norepinephrine than somebody who has the same COMT gene that's working faster. So if you have a SNP in your COMT gene, it could make it faster or it could make it slower. So by knowing which one is which, you can pick the right job for you the right occupation, which is super important to know. And you can also understand that you might need a timeout if you get pissed off and walk away. 
Because if you start yelling and getting in a battle, if you have a gene, if you have a SNP in your, your COMT gene that slows it down and you have all this dopamine and norepinephrine in your brain, you think dopamine is great and it is great, but too much makes you into a tyrant and it can give you a lot of problems. And so by knowing that, you can say, okay, I need to take vacations. And a lot of Americans don't take vacations. Japanese don't take vacations. You got to rest. You got to rest. The best thing and the best movie to watch is what about Bob? The best prescription in medicine. Dr. Hyman's is pretty darn good. The fork. I love the fork. That is really, really genius. But I will have to say the best prescription I've ever seen to date is take a vacation. And for folks who have a SNP in the COMT gene and they got a lot of dopamine and norepinephrine flooding in their brain, these folks will grind, 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 and they will not take a vacation because they don't think they deserve it because they're so type A that they need to keep going and then they burn themselves out and then they're passed out, basically sick and burn out. And it takes them a long time to recover. Then they finally recover and they do it all over again. That was me. Okay. So I have a slightly slower COMT gene, but you can also make that gene dirty. You don't need a snip in a gene to make it work faster or slower. You can also be deficient in what the gene needs in order to function. So for COMT, you got to have magnesium. You have to have sufficient magnesium for the COMT gene to work. So if you're stressed out, type A and driven, and you're magnesium deficient like a lot of the population is, well, you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be insomniac. So you can just try simple things like magnesium and then supporting your methylation as well with methylfolate and methylcobalamin. Um, but that is one uh, such example. It's almost like there's all these uh, beautiful, whether it's the wisdom of the anagrams or whether it's uh, what type of character trait are you or all these quizzes out there. It's almost like the one of the future is going to ask you questions and, and talk about maybe the phenotype aspects, but also do a genetic test and say, you're more susceptible to this. You might be more susceptible to get angry. You got to be careful to take time to rest. When you, uh, when you develop that quiz, Dr. Ben Lynch, make sure you send it to us and we'll all take it. I've got it. It's in the book. I love it. That's beautiful. It's already in the book. Yeah. I so there's, it. we call it a laundry list, which was kind of cool because if you take this list and you find out that these genes are dirty, there are steps that you can take to clean them up. And I really encourage people, you know, I go through the lifestyle and diet stuff first. So let me read you a couple for this COMT yeah, gene. Please. In the, yeah, so page 268, COMT, if it's working slower, here you go. I feel more irritable after eating a high-protein diet, such as GAPS or paleo. I'm easily irritated and takes me a long time to calm down. I routinely have, or used to have, PMS. I'm a very happy, enthusiastic person, but it's easy to irritate me. I've always been able to focus and study for long periods of time. I've struggled with falling asleep since I was a child. I know the ceiling patterns well. I do very well spending time alone or in nature. Tyrosine supplement makes me very anxious. My doctor put me on birth control pills to control acne or heavy bleeding. I have or used to have uterine fibroids and caffeine does wake me up, but I get irritable and I don't like taking risks. I'm pretty cautious. And, uh, you know, I was put on uh, estrogen hormones and it made me uh, much worse. So uh, because COMT also works with estrogen as well. So that's one example. And when you think about this, you know, this goes back to like some of the original, I guess, conversations that we started having when we first identified DNA 
and identified the fact that genetics actually exist, where do you feel that the relationship between nature and nurture, if you are an individual that is more likely to get overwhelmed by your, by your genes, you know, you're genetically predisposed by these dirty genes that you might have, are there, in addition to, of course, nutritional and supplementation, I'm sure there's practical things that people can do to counteract those genes showing up and expressing themselves as dirty. 100%. 100%. And I've got a whole list for people for free to get that. I call it the ABCs of clean genes. And it's on uh, drbenlynch.com. You just opt in there and you get it. And it's uh, it, it was a chapter that I wrote that I wanted to put in the book. My publisher is like, Ben, your, page, your book's already 300 pages long. You're good. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> dang it. Um, so it's like, well, she goes, you can just give it away. I said, perfect, done. So it's, it's in there. And so what the ABCs of clean genes are is I was thinking, okay, I want 26 simple, free things for people to do. Cause most people think when they have a problem, they have to buy something to fix it, right? They have to buy a supplement or buy something to fix it. And I want people, letter A is avoid. So I'm taking things away from your life. I'm making your life easier by you avoiding things. So avoiding chemicals, you know, so you're not buying this, these scented dryer sheets for your laundry. You just do your laundry. You don't need scented dryer sheets. You don't need Febreze. You just clean it. And then you've got also avoiding the news. I never watch the news, Drew. Uh, If something is serious, I'll find out about it from neighbors or friends or family. Um, but news is so depressing that I just, I don't read the paper. I don't read the media, listen to the media at all. I'm out. I vote and I will educate myself before I vote, especially if we get some good candidates. <clears throat> um, but, uh, and then B is breathe. Most of us are not breathing right. And you will have a broken brain if you're not breathing right. Mm. 100%. There are so many people mouth breathing. There are so many people snoring. And there are so many people with deviated septums or so many people with allergies that they can't breathe through their nose. So they breathe through their mouth. And if you're breathing through your mouth, your risk for cardiovascular disease goes up. And then you get these clots in your head um, that make you dumber and can't think as clearly and forgetful. And then people think it's dementia. Well, it could be dementia, but what what is it caused by? And it could be caused by you not breathing right. So, you know, you can get those in-home sleep studies that I have in the appendix in the back of the book, or you can talk to your doctor about it. But if you breathe through your mouth, you got to suss that out. And, and, uh, you know, I I work with Sarah Hornsby. Sarah Hornsby is a myofascial uh, specialist. She's working on my youngest son. He's been a mouth breather since he was a baby and uh, always had his tongue out and uh, not all the way out, but just, you know, just slightly and then um, I'm making some people having this weird looking kid in their head. Um, <laughs> well, um, sometimes kids have it. They have their tongue yeah, out. They're just, right. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but now uh, we've been working with body work. We've been stretching his sternocleidomastoid bus- muscles in the front. And now I check in him at night and his, his mouth is closed all day and he's breathing more through his nose. And his, I will tell you, his mood is better. His energy is better. And his... Uh, ability to focus in school is way better. He still needs work, but you gotta you gotta make sure you're not mouth breathing. It's so big. And C is chew, just like Dr. Hyman says, uh, fork is is the best medicine tool for medicine. But 
it's not a very useful tool if you're not chewing. I love it. So let's bring it back to the actual concept of, of testing. People are listening to this. They're getting excited. They're understanding of our genes and the way that they can have variations with us, which might look like on the surface problematic, but are really also an opportunity. And and we'll talk more about that in in a second. So when you did your first test, you had been writing about this stuff. You did your test. You did 23andMe. Now we've seen a lot of advancements in technology. And I think one thing that 23andMe has done great and other innovators in the space of genetics is they've really lowered the cost of genetic testing. I remember taking a tour of Craig Venter's facility uh, down in San Diego as part of his nucleus project. And just they were talking about the evolution of genetic testing and how much it's come down in cost. And it's pretty amazing that most people have access to this technology. So now when people come to you and say, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I'm buying your book and I want to start down, start down the journey. How do you begin to help them understand the actual testing process? What tests to use? And do you use multiple tests depending on what you're looking for? Great question. A very involved question. Um, first, I always ask the individual, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the potential fear that you might have when you look at your genetics? Because you see you know, that you're different that people think they're scared because we don't like to be different, right? We, we like to buy this the Nike or, or what have you. And I'm always fighting this stuff with my kids. Peer pressure is real. And when you have different genes uh, and SNPs in your genes, you think, wow, you're different and you're, you're not the same and that's going to be problematic. So first of all, you have to be mentally prepared and you have to have the, the mindset, like you said, Drew, that these are an opportunity for you to improve and to optimize your life. So if you have the mindset that genetic testing can show you potential weak points and susceptibilities, they don't show you your destiny. They don't show your life destiny. The genes that I like to focus on are genes that show potential weak points or strengths, opportunities, as you so well said. So if you do that, then you can order 23andMe or you can order Ancestry. Both of these are are good tests. I will say that 23andMe has removed some genes which... I found to be quite relevant uh, clinically and and for the individuals, you know, and they no longer test them, which is a bummer. Uh, but is that ancestry, because they got in trouble with the FDA of make, trying to help people understand like health claims? Is that why they removed some of that data out of there? It could be. It very well could be, but I I don't know, okay. and I I don't want to make a guess as to why because I I don't know. But I I will say that Ancestry still is offering some of these SNPs. And so when you get your 23andMe data back or you get your ancestry data back, you know, you get some information back um, that says, you know, your urine might stink with 23andMe if you asparagus or you might be a sprinter or what have you. And that's that's all good to know, um, I guess. But I kind of find that those health traits are not very accurate. I think they said I was going to be a sprinter. I can tell you I'm no sprinter. I'm a long distance guy. And uh, they said a few other things that are not accurate. But, uh, you know, it's genetic testing. It's a new frontier. So, you know, good for them for, for giving a shot. And then so what I like to do, though, and as I tell people, you take the raw data, which is the, what you get from uh, 23andMe and Ancestry. You don't just get what you log into. You get actually what their test found, all the genes that they tested. And so it's called raw data. And what that raw data means is that those are all the genes that they test for and all the SNPs that, they're, that are in those particular genes. And you can download that raw data 
and you can import it into various reports that are available out there. And there's a lot of reports out there now for people. Some are trash and very, very bad and full of misinformation and very conflict of interest, pitching supplements left and right and scaring people. And others are making false claims. And so there's there's no regulation on this, really. And my team has developed a, a report called Strategene, which Dr. David Perlmutter uh, really enjoys and uh, used personally. Um, we have an interview on YouTube uh, where he interviewed me on his Strategene report. But it's a, it's a very useful tool that looks at your raw data and it puts it in a bigger picture. And so you can, it's hard. There's biochemical pathways. We don't tell you what to do because that's not our job. But we show you if these genes are slowed down or sped up and uh, what vitamins and minerals they take, but we don't recommend supplements. And then we also tell you, you know, you know what conditions they might be associated with um, because they're sped up or slowed down. And, uh, and then we have a directory of physicians that you can reach out to. And then we have uh, free videos that you can uh, learn more about how they, they work. But, you know, we have to understand, Drew, and we have to keep the mind mindset that, like you said earlier, we get so involved in the minutia of one particular gene like MTGFR like I did, and I had my gut wrenched. But it's the basics. It's the basics. It's the fundamentals that are so, so important. And you have to pull yourself back. And that's the whole reason I wrote Dirty Genes is because people get their genetic test back and they say, doc, how do I fix my MTGFR SNP? And they, the doctors are guessing and they, they give them a bunch of uh, vitamins or drugs like, you know, Deplin or, or what have you, or methylfolate to try to fix that particular SNP. I did the same thing and uh, it doesn't work. So the, the concept of dirty genes is you don't really need genetic testing. You need to first, you read the book, you do the quizzes, you do the work, you establish the fundamentals. And then after that, once you get the fundamentals going in the lifestyle, you still have some, you know, you're still quick to being irritable. Maybe you still, your some of your labs are off, you know, some of your estrogens are too high and you can't get your homocysteine levels down or your, you know, your liver is always causing you problems even though you're doing all this work, now it's just time to do genetic testing. I would say do genetic testing after you've understood and really listened to things like you've talked about in your guys' documentary, Broken Brain, but also have read books like uh, Dirty Genes um, before you just dive into genetic testing because it can lead you down the wrong path. That's great. And I love the other thing that you mentioned, and we'll make sure to link over to uh, that service that you have. Uh, you mentioned you know, you have a list of practitioners. And I think the key is that there are trained professionals, even though maybe your family physician doesn't know about genetic testing and doesn't know about detoxification and gut health and other components, there are practitioners that are out there, naturopathic doctors, functional medicine doctors, uh, different functional medicine practitioners who are trained in this, who understand and can help you understand the information in context. Because it's all about context. If you're dealing with toxic mold, which we've talked about in a previous episode in your house, you know, yes, you want to know maybe some aspects of genetic testing to see how well you detoxify and glutathione and other stuff, but it might just be that you're on a very practical level just trying to get out of that situation or doing another protocol. So in functional medicine, in naturopathic medicine, your practitioner is going to help you look at things in the right order. So that's amazing that you provide that list of practitioners and we'll be sure to link up to the website and the test in the show notes. Yeah, great. Yeah, you're welcome. And it's, it's, you know, I'm constantly evolving with all this. And I will tell you, Drew, when I first 
my first conference presentation, my big, first big one that I did was in 2013. And I talked about SNPs for two and a half days. That's all I basically talked about was SNPs and their impact on biochemistry. And doctors walked out of there and they just dropped everything. They just focused on the SNPs. And I told them which nutrients the genes needed. I told them which environmental factors influenced the genes, you know, faster or slower. And then doctors were emailing me. It's like, it's not working. It's not working. I was like, well, did you suss the patient history? Did you evaluate for mold? Did you know? It's like, well, you can't, you can't just treat the gene. You can't swallow a pill and magically have the riboflavin and vitamin B2 go to that one particular gene that you want. You gotta, you gotta do the basics. And so I thought that all the doctors were practicing functional medicine and naturopathic medicine so well that they were all ready for gen- adding genetics, like you said, and taking it into context. But boy, I was very rudely woken up by realizing that doctors just dropped everything and focused on the SNPs. And uh, a really good, somebody asked, uh, posted a, a great question in the Strategy and Facebook group. And they said, how do you find a doctor that knows how to support you and your genetics? I thought that was such a good question. And somebody brilliantly asked, how do you treat MTHFR? That's what I ask the doctor. And if they tell me, oh, you got to come in and take a visit, you know, we got, you know, do all these things. I get that too, but it's kind of a, you know, you're escaping the question. And then what the person said is make sure that they're, they say, well, we have to work on the fundamentals and the basics and look for infections and your health history and all these things. And then we can maybe tweak them to Jafar later, but we have to do the foundations first. If they answer that way, that's a good doctor to go to. If they say, well, you know, we'll consider, we can check your homocysteine levels and, or maybe we'll just give you a trial of methylfolate or Deplin. That's a doctor to stay away from. Because even in your own journey, obviously you were a naturopathic student graduate, you had an interest in wellness. Even though you were writing about genes, you had already brought in so many of these fundamentals into your life. And that was just adding another layer. It was a very helpful layer, but it was more useful because you had been doing everything else. We can't replace our obsession as a society for prescription medications or a pill or the one answer from the one doctor that's the cure to everything that we're dealing with, with now looking at genetics that way. It's just not going to work. No. And what people are doing is they, they get their genetic test back and they, they have an MTFR SNP or they have a COMT SNP and they go, what supplement do I take for that? And there are supplement companies, big ones, that are allowing people to take their 23andMe data, importing it for free into their website, and it just spits out a bunch of supplement recommendations. You have no idea if that person needs those supplements or not. And maybe there's other genes that you know those nutrients are not going to work very well, or maybe they have dirty genes, and maybe there's a SNP. Uh, there's not even a SNP in the MTHFR gene. They have no SNP in their MTHFR gene, but they're they're eating horribly. They're not eating their leafy greens, and they're consuming a bunch of folic acid. Well, just because they don't have an MTHFR SNP doesn't mean their MTHFR gene is working very well. Mm. It can be totally gummed up, right? If they're consuming a bunch of synthetic folic acid, that gums up the MTHFR gene, fully researched. You need vitamin B2, riboflavin, for the MTHFR gene to work, and you need quite a bit of it. And if an individual is deficient in riboflavin, I'm telling you, Drew, I'm seeing a lot of people's organic acid tests come back riboflavin, i.e. vitamin B2, deficient, then their MTHFR gene is dirty, SNP or not. Incredible. 
another layer to add in this understanding that you may not even have one of these SNPs that you talk about in dirty genes, these seven, you know, genes that you kind of break down in the book, which is so amazing, but you could still have low function in them if you're not paying attention to the fundamentals that we know work so well to just maintain and have our health thrive. Yeah. And what people do is, is I talk about the seven genes in dirty genes. I don't talk about SNPs in dirty genes. I talk about, about what SNPs are and what they do, but I, the quizzes in the book are giving you real-time questions that I used to ask patients and individuals and teach doctors what to ask for their patients to see if those genes were acting dirty or not, SNP or not. Understood. Thank you yeah. for that. It's, yeah. it's, it's just so new to all of us, even for myself as somebody who's been in the wellness world for a while, we're still wrapping our head uh, around this. And, and thank you for taking the time to educate us uh, about this topic. But before we go to your book and, and where people can find it, and I have a few questions about it, just, just asking you to like put your philosopher's hat on, right? Maybe your futurist hat on. And how do you see... Or, or what's your greatest wish for the space overall in genetics as it evolves? We get better testing. We have maybe better companies that are supported to set up people for their lives. Like, What's your dream vision of solutions that are there to help people unpack this and have a better understanding of their, of their health? Maybe we could start off with what's like your dream genetic test that you're hoping one day we have in uh, society available to all of us? Hmm. Well, I'm making one as we speak. And uh, I'm just going through the regulatory issues right now and making sure we're all, all our I's and T's are crossed, uh, I's dotted and T's crossed. So, um, so we're, we're making a, a pretty amazing one. I'm not sure it will be available because we're, you know, we want to make sure that we do everything legally appropriately. But uh, what I foresee, Drew, what I'm seeing in the future is we are optimizing people's lives. That's what I try to do. And I drive my kids crazy with it. I drive my wife crazy with it. And I probably drive my, my own self crazy with it. But I'm always looking to get better, you know, always, and myself included. And so if you know what your strengths are at an early age, and you know what your weaknesses are at an early age, you could choose and navigate the right paths without bumping your head against the wall and redirecting like those robot vacuums, right? Back and forth, back and forth. You can program, you know, you're not program a course, but you can set a better course for yourself. If you knew that you had a SNP uh, in your APOE gene that was going to predispose you to early onset dementia or a broken brain early in life, then you don't play concussion-based sports. You don't play football. If you knew that you had to protect your head more, you would definitely wear that bike helmet and you wouldn't make those risks. You knew that you would need more glutathione and, and not eat a bunch of refried foods. You know, maybe these people are going to still go on and make and do concussion-based sports, but at least you have the choice and the information in front of you and says, I have these weaker genes here and I need to do what I can to protect them. So I can optimize my life. And I've got all these strengths right here. I've got these genes here. I've got genes that have massive high amounts of dopamine and norepi. And that's a great strength because I can get my stuff done. But I know I really need to take a vacation and schedule that in so I don't burn myself out. And then if I'm a firefighter, I need to make sure that I'm wearing my great 
uh, max and I'm protecting myself and I'm taking my glutathione and I'm detoxing in saunas because I have these genes and I'm constantly exposed to smoke and so on, that's going to make me sick faster. And if I want to be a father later in life, I want to be fertile. And I also want to be, I don't want to die early from cancer or cardiovascular disease. So maybe I shouldn't even be a firefighter because looking at my detoxification genes, I'm a real mess and I can't handle it. And then the biggest one where I'm really excited about is what I, my biggest passion drew is to optimize the lives of unborn children. You cannot get more preventative than preventing illness in the unborn child or reducing the incidence of it. And so when you sit down with a potential uh, future father or, or mother or both, ideally, and you say, look, you have these genes which predispose you to not having enough folate for the developing baby or yourself, you do not have uh, enough glutathione production, um, your ability to get rid of these chemicals is reduced, so let's look for these chemicals now before you get pregnant so the baby's not exposed to them in utero. Uh, your ability to make choline is really low and over 90% of women are choline deficient. And do you know that if you take around 800 milligrams of choline during pregnancy, your baby may never ever get dementia their entire life. Wow. And it starts in the womb. So that is where I really want to see genetic testing going because the majority of women are choline deficient. We hear about folic acid, folic acid, folic acid, and neural tube defects, but we don't hear about dementia. And there's great studies out there that look at their mice studies, but they still have their mice studies where they look at, you know, these genetics that are not working very well for producing choline. And then they give these, these pregnant uh, mice a bunch of choline, and then their babies go on their entire life, never getting dementia ever. Incredible. Yeah. So womb starts in the womb. And it, that's all happening in our lifetime. And it sounds like you're working on a lot of this too. So we're going to have to have you back to discuss it when it's all ready and we can unpack it all. Dr. Ben Litch, you are a wealth of knowledge in this area. And I want to just acknowledge you for really taking a topic that's both emerging and a little bit hard to unpack, even for people who have been in the world of wellness for a while and writing the definitive book that's out there, I feel, in helping people not only understand how we can powerfully use this information and the genes and what they mean, but in the right context. Like you said, when it comes to genes, there's a lot of fear mongering out there. There's a lot of people that are ready to capitalize off of that fear that people have, that they only need to do one thing and they're trying to give you some supplement or prescription that serves it all, just fixes everything, yet you're explaining it in, in context. So thank you for writing your book. Obviously, the book is available on Amazon and other places, but you have um, some bonuses on your website that people can grab, and I think a bonus chapter. Where, where can our audience go if they want to learn more about that book and get that bonus chapter? Uh, the bonus chapter, I believe, is it you can go to dirtygenes.com, and it's probably there. I haven't checked in a while, honestly, um, but it's probably also at drbenlynch.com, so drbenlynch.com. But if you also just Google Dirty Genes bonus chapter, uh, you'll find it there as well. Just lastly, is like, is there uh, something unexpected, like something good, unexpected that, that you've seen or experienced since your book has been out there? Maybe it's a piece or, or a chapter that, that people really resonated with that you didn't think. Maybe it's testimonials. Is there something that comes out now mm. that the book has been out there for a little bit and just great reviews on Amazon, something unexpected that you didn't think that's been a result from your book? Could be a small story, could be a bigger theme, anything that you feel like you want to share. 
Well, I was very careful and great, great question. There is one and there's one very, very specifically um, that I will share. But what I, I want to start out with, I want to preface this, is my publisher really wanted to call the book The Seven Deadly Genes. And I fought and it was multiple phone calls to, to fight. And I will say that, you know, thanks to, you know, my writer, Rachel Krantz, who I dedicated the book to because she she died of dirty genes right before the book got published, unfortunately. I'm so sorry to hear. And uh, she was amazing to work with. She, the book would not have been possible without her work because I, I had it so much full of science and she just kept stripping it out there. We argue back and forth. It was great. And she came up with the term dirty genes. And so I thank her for that. And then the next step was, okay, well, it's a 30-day uh, program to clean your genes. I was like, well, they said it was, no, it was 14 days. I was like, well, you can't clean your genes in 14 days. Well, 30 days. People want programs. <laughs> I was like, no, it's, it's not, you can't do it that quick. And uh, she said, well, okay, it's a breakthrough program. I said, perfect. Okay, good. And so she goes, I still want you making a program in the book. I said, okay, I'll do it. And I was so frustrated. And I actually got on the phone. And I talked to Rachel and my agent. I said, I'm irritated. I, I can't make this a 14-day thing. So I, I added at the end of the program, I said, look, at the silk and scrub that you've done, it's only for 14 days. But if you're gaining ground or if it's too overwhelming, take longer. Make it a lifestyle. And then I don't want you jumping on the supplements to, to try to fix yourself. Keep doing the basics. Keep doing the silk and scrub. I tell people, don't do supplements unless you absolutely have to. And so what happened was somebody posted in the Dirty Jeans Facebook group. She goes, finally, after following all these experts for so long, my gut is finally better. I've been taking all these supplements. I've been doing all this work. And I will have to say that reading Dirty Jeans was the final thing that I had to do. I thought I was soaking and scrubbing as well as I needed to. I thought I was doing the work, but Dirty Jeans brought me so much more insight into things that I had never even considered and in ways that were practical and free to do. I'm elongating this a little bit. And then the person goes, well, what'd you do? What supplements did you take? She goes, well, I didn't really take any supplements. I basically did the soak and scrub that Dr. Lynch talks about. And I took a few supplements after I did that. And those that really did help. But it was basically, soak and scrub is more of a lifestyle. So dirty jeans basically taught me how to live. And I was like, man, that's it. That's it. That's, that's what it. That's it. Teach you how to live. Dr. Ben Lynch, thank you for being a pioneer in this space and for coming on our podcast and sharing your story and just doing all the incredible work that you do. We so appreciate you. Appreciate that, Drew. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.